Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect program. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the program, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this program is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your host for today's program, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Shanice, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Telephone Education Workshop. This is our fourth annual Cancer Survivorship Series, Living With, Through, and Beyond Cancer. And the title of today's program is Managing Your Costs of Recovery, and this is part three of this, this year's, this fourth annual series. Now, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care, the National Cancer Institute, the Lance Armstrong Foundation, the Intercultural Cancer Council, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And it's that collaboration that has enabled us to reach so many of you. So there are a lot of you on the call today. We have 1,102 people on this call today. And you come from all over the United States, um, from larger cities, from rural areas and small cities as well, and suburban areas. And we also have international participants today from India, New Zealand, Romania, and the UK. So you really come from all over the world. You are clearly a global audience, and um, we are delighted that uh, you are such a wonderful group of information seekers. Now, I would like to turn your attention for a moment to the materials that you received in the mail. And in those materials is information about each of the partnering groups. So you have all that information. There's an outline that our speakers have been prepared for you so that you can follow along in terms of their comments. Um, there also is an evaluation form, and I would ask you at the end of today's program to take a moment and complete that evaluation form. You know, that form is really uh, very important, both to document the need for the program, but also your suggestions and your comments will help us in planning um, our, uh, four, our fifth annual, our next annual, 2007 annual, um, uh, Telephone Education Workshops on Survivorship. So please uh, tell us what you'd like for next year, and we will very much try to implement your suggestions. Um, Indeed, uh, the title for today's program really came from suggestions from all of you. So please do tell us what you need um, for the future. Um, now, um, uh, the, today's program is actually um, uh, has been made possible by educational grants from the National Cancer Institute and the um, Livestrong, Lance Armstrong Foundation. We really want to thank them for their support of this program. Um, this has been a very important partnership. Now, my co-moderator on today's program is Dr. Julia Rowland, and Dr. Rowland is Director, Office of Cancer Survivorship, Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences, the National Cancer Institute. And I want to now turn the program over to Dr. Rowland to say also some words of welcome to all of you. Dr. Rowland? I join Carolyn in welcoming all of our listeners across the country and around the globe to this final workshop in our 2006 Cancer Survivorship Series, Living With, Through, and Beyond Cancer. The National Cancer Institute has been pleased to serve once more as an organizational partner in this fourth year of our special teleconference series focusing on the issues faced by cancer survivors and their loved ones after treatment ends. We're also pleased to have been able, along with the Lance Armstrong Foundation, to serve as a co-funder of this program. This support was made possible through a collaborative effort by members of the Office of Cancer Survivorship, the office I have the privilege to direct, the Office of Education and Special Initiatives, led by Lenora Johnson, and the Cancer Information Service under the leadership of Marianne Bright. 
It's been a particular privilege for me to host or co-host our Survivorship Series this year as 2006 marks the 10th anniversary of the establishment of the Office of Cancer Survivorship at the NCI. The office was created in direct response to compelling and articulate consumer advocacy that called for clinicians, researchers, funders, and policymakers to both recognize and seek ways to better understand and address the chronic and late effects of surviving cancer for survivors and their loved ones. We plan to celebrate this important anniversary from October 4 through 6 at our Biennial Cancer Survivorship Research Conference here in Washington, D.C., and the materials in your packets that you receive will tell you more about this. The overall goal of the Office of Cancer Survivorship is to improve the length and quality of survival for all those living with a history of cancer, a figure currently estimated as including almost 10.5 million individuals in the United States alone. Today's program is an important part of the NCI's educational mission. It reflects our commitment to develop and broadly disseminate educational materials and outreach programs designed to equip cancer survivors and their caregivers with the information they need to master their own or help a loved one to achieve optimal health and well-being after cancer. As Carolyn has said, our topic for this final workshop in the 2006 series, Managing Your Costs of Recovery, focuses on a challenge that many survivors have told us often takes them by surprise, the financial burden of care and recovery. Even if one is well insured or has access to comprehensive public health care services, not all of cancer's costs are covered by these systems. And for those lacking access to such resources, the price of illness on individuals and their families' economic as well as emotional well-being can be overwhelming. Today's invited speakers bring a breadth and depth of personal and professional expertise that I know will provide listeners with helpful insights into these issues, issues that at times may have complex and imperfect solutions. Across the course of this hour, you'll learn a number of useful tips for thinking about and strategies or resources for identifying ways to effectively master the challenge of managing your costs of recovery. It's my pleasure to be able to co-host these workshops with my esteemed colleague, Carolyn Messner, to whom I will now return the program. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Roland, for just an excellent um, welcome to everybody and also for putting this whole program in a context. And indeed, this topic is a very important one to survivors. And I want to start the program with our first speaker. Uh, our first speaker is uh, Martha Gaines. And Martha Gaines is um, an attorney by training, and she's a cancer survivor. She's Director of Center for Patient Partnerships, Clinical Professor of Law, University of Wisconsin Law School. And she's going to provide our survivor perspective on today's program. Meg? Yes. <clears throat> Thanks. It's uh, delightful to be here. Um, in uh, 1994, um, out of the blue at age 38, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, which uh, quickly became metastatic uh, to my liver. Um, my, when I was diagnosed, my children were one and three years old, and I was uh, hurled into that uh, terrifying place that uh, People go when they get diagnosed, when they receive a diagnosis like that, and, and uh, often also have children um, in in the mix. Um, I w went to a variety of places seeking um, treatment, and um, uh, eventually ended up having uh, a surgery that, uh, sort of an experimental surgery that saved my life. But one of the things I didn't plan on and and hadn't haven't planned on since. Um, was the were the number of bills the literally sheer overwhelming uh, number of bills that would come in um, that I would have to as someone who was 
going through chemotherapy and going through recovery and worried about recurrence and going back and forth to my physician that I, I would have to actually kind of try to sort this out and figure out uh, where they came from and what needed to be paid and what was just sort of deferred from insurance and that they hadn't paid yet and that kind of, you know, this is not a bill, only if you don't pay it, <laughs> um, uh, you might go to collections and it's just a very frightening and overwhelming um, financial challenge to um, uh, treatment and to uh, recovery and surveillance, um, subsequent surveillance. So um, after my uh, treatment was uh, uh, finished in 1995, so I've actually been um, um, a post-treatment for um, uh, 11 years, Almost, and um, after my treatment was completed, I uh, began to think about the experience I had in my training, uh, despite my training as a lawyer, and despite my kind of um, uh, "don't take no for an answer" survival survivor attitude. Um, I still was really aware of how challenging the experience had been for me, and could only imagine how much more difficult it would be for people without my. Um, uh, education resources and other, you know, family support and and the kinds of things I had, um, and so I thought about how I could share with you some um, some of the strategies that I used and I think are possible for people to use when they have um, enormous billing and financial uh, kind of challenges and hurdles. Um, as it happens, I had a friend who I'm sure that many of you out there have this experience, or fortunate, hope, hope you're fortunate to have this experience where someone says to you, how can I help? What can I do? And in this case, I said to my friend one day, um, you know how you could help? You could come over to my house and you could pick up this giant stack of bills I have and you could keep coming over to my house every day and just taking the bills out of the mail. And you could call all the people on the other end of these bills and find out what's owed and what's merely not been paid yet by the insurance company and what else I can do, um, you know, what what I absolutely need to pay and what I need to get on a payment plan for and what I um, don't need to pay because insurance should be paying it. And if you could sort that out for me, that would be an enormous favor. And she did. And it was an extraordinary um, favor. I actually still hold the file full, just full of bills that she went through and made notes on and was friends with all the people on the other end of the phone. Um, after coming through the experience, I realized that um, that uh, while my job, my former job, was still the same, um, I was really different. And I began to realize that um, it was important to me to, well, that really I felt sort of a call to um, be a part of helping other people, um, paving the way for people to coming behind me who um, I felt like didn't need to come into the uh, cancer survival billing financial overwhelming uh, feeling alone and for the first time on an unpaved road. So that led me to uh, found um, the Center for Patient Partnerships in, uh, to, in the year 2000. And we, in the course of the last five years, have helped over 850 people um, diagnosis and treatment and subsequent uh, survival and recovery and that kind of thing. Um, work with issues including uh, uh, treatment options and research, and but also billing and financial problems and employment problems. <clears throat> so um, 
we're happy to be here and um, be happy to answer questions uh, after this is over. So thanks. Well, thank you very much, uh, Meg, for just an excellent um, overview of your experience and also of giving the perspective, the survivor perspective, which really um, really sets a tone for our entire uh, program today. Um, so thank you for sharing your own experience with us. Um, our next speaker is uh, Dr. Neil Schlockman, and Dr. Schlockman is Senior Partner, Healthcare Executive Partners, LLC, and um, he is actually going to um, talk a bit about um, some of the negotiating skills that are important here. Um, Dr. Schlockman? Uh, thanks, Carolyn, and Julia, too. Uh, it's a pleasure to participate in this uh, call. Uh, as a healthcare provider, I'm a pediatric oncologist by background uh, and also a former health insurance executive and administrator as a medical director, and now as an advocate for quality cancer care as a board member of the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. I believe I've got a rather unique and broad perspective from kind of all the sides on the issues of insurance and cancer care. And today my goal is to leave you with three main points which I'll briefly discuss. Number one is that you need to make every effort to understand your benefits, your insurance benefits. Number two is that you need to know what services you'll need for appropriate care as a survivor. And number three is that you need not hesitate to negotiate with your health plan and your providers, your doctors, et cetera, when necessary. As some background, there's a lot of evidence around that uh, health insurance is so critical to obtaining needed health care. sounds obvious, but those patients with less coverage fare less well in all aspects of health care. Cancer survivors appear to have comparable uh, coverage to non-cancer survivors, but um, they often have unmet medical needs, which are much commoner amongst the cancer survivor group, and many do not get the care they need. The health insurance system is quite complex and very confusing, not only to patients, but to doctors and all other providers as well. And often they can't help you as much as you might hope they could. Of utmost importance to the cancer survivor dealing with the multiplicity of plans and, and the variations of benefits is discovering what benefits you need. And the start of a solution to this problem has recently surfaced and that the uh, Institute of Medicine of the National Academy of Sciences just released a report from cancer patient to cancer survivor, lost in transition. In this report, the IOM, IOM focused on the phase of survivorship that follows primary treatment, that is, after you're, you're finished your treatment, and it lasts until cancer recurrence or the end of life. Not only is there a multitude of insurance issues that surround the initial treatment of care, but also, even more importantly, the period after initial treatment is most, most complex. The issues of possible recurrence, late effects and toxicities of treatment, as well as persistent effects of treatment require appropriate treatment and follow-up. The need for surveillance for other cancers and routine health care preventative services is also part of this appropriate care. In order to understand what benefits you require, you need to be informed of the services you will need by your providers. Unfortunately, this has not been common in cancer care. And what the IOM did is provide some solid evidence to say that this is something that's needed. That something is a survivorship care plan. It's critical to cancer survivors to initially demand, and I say demand, and receive a written treatment plan 
what, what is, what's going to happen? And after the treatment period, a summary of what's transpired or what's been done to you, and just as important, what will be necessary for future follow-up. This care plan should communicate the diagnosis that you had, the stage of disease, the initial treatment, what treatment was actually given, because often it does change, and any toxicities experienced at the time of treatment or even in the future. It should also include the follow-up needed to assess the long-term effects and possible recurrence and other associated malignancies. Who will be responsible for what part of care should also be spelled out. This document is incredibly important for the cancer survivor to have as a blueprint for care in order to enable what we would call shared responsibility with survivors and healthcare providers for optimal care. In the context of this discussion, it allows the survivor to evaluate what benefits are needed to be provided by the insurance plan. Without this information, it's awfully difficult, if not impossible, to be an advocate for your own care. Due to the lack of consistency in the incredible variety of plans and benefits, many cancer survivors find certain aspects of care uncovered, poorly covered, or not even well-defined as covered. I think you have to realize that employers purchase specific benefits based on a balance between what they consider to be appropriate coverage and the total cost that they can bear. Thus, not everything desired can and will be covered as a benefit. In some instances, there may be specific exclusions for some perceived needed care, but often denial for payment is based on a decision related to something called medical necessity. And this is often an arguable issue and need not be accepted as a final decision. In fact, it's important to recognize that survivors can negotiate something survivors don't think much about. In fact, patients in general don't think much. You can negotiate with insurance for certain needed benefits. In fact, patients can even negotiate with their doctor about payments, especially when plans are shifting more and more payment responsibility to patients. In concert with your doctor, you can provide appropriate evidence for your needed care to health plans should they deny needed care. Don't stop with the first representative you speak to. Be persistent. Often you can make a case for cost savings. An example of this would be staying with your present physician because you've changed plans, and that physician may not be participating with the plan, but if you switch to another uh, provider in the network, you may have to have lots of repeated studies and thus increase costs. So making that case often, even to a medical director if necessary, will sell you the opportunity to continue care as you would like to have it and as it would be appropriate. If all else fails, you can pursue uh, an appeals process either through the state or federal agency that regulates your insurance company. Unfortunately, more and more health insurance issues that face the cancer survivor bring into sharp contrast the gaps and the limitations of health insurance in the United States. In spite of this, the survivor can take some control by one, getting your doctor to provide you a cancer care plan in summary so you know what you need, understand your benefits, and be willing and able to negotiate with the insurer and providers if necessary. This uh, concludes my remarks, and I will be around to answer any questions. If Thank you very much, Dr. Schlockman. Just a wonderful presentation, and I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, but just really wonderful, helpful suggestions to everybody on the call today, and um, thank you. Um, our next speaker is Randy Redkin.
Randy is a lawyer, and she's director of Legal Health, New York Legal Assistance Group, NILAG. And uh, Randy actually has been a long-term colleague here at Cancer Care and um, has helped us with many programs here, and I'm delighted to turn the program over to Randy. Thank you, Carolyn, and thank you all for uh, participating today. There's a lot to talk about. When Carolyn asked me to talk about reentry into the workforce, there was just so much to cover in just a few minutes. So I tried to just pick out a few of the highlights. My talk relies on federal law and New York law, but you should always check the laws in your state. Let's start with reentry into the workplace or if you're changing jobs and with the job interview. During the interview process, an employer does not have the right to ask medical information about you unless your physical or mental health is directly linked to assessing your ability to perform the job, such as requiring a physical exam if you're applying to be a firefighter. The same is true about answering questions about medications. It's only legal to ask if you are taking medication that it could affect your ability to do the job. An offer of employment, an employer, after an offer of employment, an employer can ask you to take a medical exam, but only if all employees are asked to do so. The employer can also ask you to fill out a medical questionnaire. Now, you don't have to tell your employer or prospective employer about your condition, but remember the practical implications. Will you need time off for treatments or follow-up shortly after becoming employed? If so, consider whether the ethical problems of misleading the prospective employer, if it may affect your future there. In other words, are you off to a bad start? And is this the type of position where the employer will be able to accommodate my needs? For example, if I have a unique position, an accommodation may not be required. Also, if you filled out the questionnaire and did not answer truthfully. An employer can fire you or fail to hire you because you're a person with cancer and considered a person with a disability and as such protected by federal law and usually state and city as well. But remember, in New York and in many other states, employees are employees at will and can be fired for any reason, good or bad, as long as it's not an illegal reason. Employee benefits, important part that was already talked about. Remember, private employers do not have to offer benefits, but if they do, they have to offer them to both full-time employees. Request a detailed explanation of your benefits package, but do so only after receiving a firm offer. Because benefits are a significant portion of a compensation package, it's not unusual to request detailed information. Uh, federal law requires that an employer provide a summary plan description for insurance or pension benefits offered to employees. It's important to obtain these for your records. Compare the offered benefits with your present coverage and decide whether they are adequate, will require a change in hospital and medical treatment team, or will result in significant out-of-pocket expenditures. An important question often asked by returning employees with cancer is if you have cancer, will you qualify for your employer's group health insurance plan? Under federal law, you should qualify for your employer's group plan regardless of your medical condition Although almost all health plans have pre-existing condition limitations for new insurers to use the plan for an existing condition for a certain period of time, usually up to a year. To be able to use your new plan for your cancer treatment, you must have portability, which means that you have been continuously covered by private or public insurance plan without a gap in coverage for 63 days. In other words, there has to be a maximum of 63 days between your old insurance coverage and your new plan. If you're on COBRA, do not drop it until your new insurance starts. Often new employees have a 30, 60, 90 day wait, or if for some reason you have a pre-existing limitation period until that expires. 
For obtaining life and long-term disability insurance through your employer, the answer of whether you qualify is it depends. If your new employer offers life insurance or long-term disability to employees when they first start work and during open enrollment periods without requiring medical underwriting information, then your cancer diagnosis will not be an issue. Otherwise, you would have to meet the medical underwriting requirements. Some states have laws that prohibit insurers from denying these policies if the last treatment for cancer was a certain period of time in the, in the past. For example, in New York, it's three years. What happens once you resume work after eligibility under a long-term disability plan? Well, we don't know if there are any unusual implications. You must review your particular policy. No two policies are necessarily the same. You may have a policy with partial disability, specific types of returning to work definitions, same occupation, different occupation, etc. Determine whether it's financially in your best interest to return now rather than later. For instance, will you be able to earn more income for an unlimited time in the future as compared with the current guaranteed payments? Quickly, I'll talk about resuming work after if you've been under Social Security disability. Generally, Social Security lets you test the waters. There's a couple of time frames. The first time frame may be, are you able to receive full disability? You may be able to receive full disability benefits during a trial work period. Allowed nine trial work months during a 60-month period. The trial month is any month you make more than $620. The second time frame time frames extended period of eligibility, and that's the 36 months after the trial work period. Generally, benefits may stop after three months of making $860 from substantial gainful employment or more for each month in which you continue to make the minimum amount. And if you continue to earn the minimum after the extended period, no longer eligible for SSDI. But the rules are rather complex. These are the general guidelines, and you should rule Review the rules with your, with your, for yourself with your specific situation. Finally, um, if you owe money to creditors, including credit card companies, department stores, healthcare providers, and others, and other non-tax-related credit providers, and cannot make a payment, a creditor can bring a lawsuit against you, and a judge may issue a judgment against you, which allows the creditor to use your assets to pay off the debt. Even if the creditor has obtained a judgment against you, the creditor can not reach SSDI, SSI, or long-term disability, and certain other income. These benefits are what we call judgment-proof. But once you start working, however, creditors can gain access to your salary. A creditor with a judgment against you will garnish up to 10% of your salary at any one time directly through your employer. You can avoid garnishment by approaching your creditors and offering a plan to work out the debt. Creditors will sometimes accept less than full payment to satisfy all debts. If nothing else, working out a plan with the creditor can avoid involving your employer in financial matters. Um, I can continue, but I think I may be going over. So with that, I will um, conclude my remarks. Well, thank you very much, Randy, for covering lots of very interesting material in a, in a, in a period of time. I know we'll have questions for you um, during the Q&A. Thank you for covering the whole issue of work, which is such a critical issue for everyone, and health insurance as well. So our, our final speaker is Karen Hartman, and Karen Hartman is an oncology social worker, and she is Survivorship Program Coordinator for Cancer Care. And I'm now going to turn the program over to um, Karen, who's really going to address issues of the really the financial burden of post-treatment care and the resources for financial help. Thank you, Carolyn. 
It's been very helpful to hear the other speakers offer their recommendations for dealing with the medical expenses and other challenges of the post-treatment phase of this cancer journey. It's hard enough to have cancer, but to complete your treatment and still face the emotional, financial, and social repercussions feels to many survivors like adding insult to injury, quite literally. Most cancer survivors find that their post-treatment financial situation is indeed a challenge. It's finally become socially acceptable in this country to talk openly about one's cancer. People with cancer are able to access support groups where they can compare their treatments with other survivors and to share emotional concerns about the impact of the cancer in the lives of their families and themselves. As Dr. Rowland mentioned earlier, the cancer medical research community has begun to focus on post-treatment as a crucial and growing phase of the cancer experience. It's a groundbreaking area for research as well into survivors' emotional and financial needs. Money, however, is a far less comfortable topic for many of us. It's also perhaps the area of least emphasis as survivorship emerges as a major focus. I often hear clients raise the issue of the financial burden that's left over from the cost of treatment and in the same breath express worry about managing the costs of their follow-up care. I know that I should be grateful just to be finished with the treatment, but the stress of my finances makes me wonder, one client told me. There are many members of your healthcare team, oncology social workers, oncology nurses, case managers, who may be able to provide assistance as you grapple with these financial concerns. One of the first tasks with which an oncology professional can help you is simply to acknowledge that the financial situation is a legitimate stress. Often clients tell me that they should not put money above their health, but the reality is that for most of us, our ability to pay out-of-pocket costs is limited. On top of the other stresses that accompany a cancer diagnosis, and particularly those that occur after treatment ends, worrying about how to pay for follow-up care is truly a concern. An oncology social worker or other professional can help you to look at the issues you're confronting and help you to figure out which are most pressing right now. Breaking down into more manageable parts those problems that seem overwhelming can make a big difference in our ability to cope with stress. Members of your healthcare team can also steer you toward resources available in your local community. I think that it's important to understand that there are resources out there. Finding these resources, however, is not always easy. If one contact can it help you, though, the next one just might. It's always a good idea to ask each organization that you speak with for a referral to another organization that may provide the kind of assistance you need. Persistence can pay off. I often hear clients refer to the financial impact of cancer as overwhelming, and you heard that from speakers earlier today. And that is usually the clients who do have health insurance. There are so many costs associated with follow-up care that insurance does not cover, such as transportation to treatment and medication copays, scans, and tests. For those who are, un who are uninsured, the situation is often even harder unless they can access some kind of public health insurance program. If you have health insurance, it's important to understand, as Dr. Schlockman referred to earlier, what your insurance plan will cover with respect to periodic scans and tests. Most of us don't look closely at our policies until treatment is denied, and it's helpful to know in advance. Many insurance plans will already have assigned you a case manager or other liaison when your cancer treatment started, so make use of this person or ask for such an assignment to help you navigate the post-treatment insurance issues. If you're uninsured, understand what you're entitled to under the law. Most entitlement programs have an application process that takes time, so it's important to get started as soon as you can. Every state in the United States has different guidelines with respect to Medicaid and other public health insurance programs, so call your local Medicaid office to determine the regulations in your state. 
and some general suggestions. Almost every hospital will work with people who are struggling to pay medical bills. Ask to speak with a financial counselor in the business office of the hospital. If you expect to run out of money or if you have already run out of money and you can't meet your daily living expenses, then talk directly to your creditors. Many utility and mortgage companies, for instance, will work out a payment plan with you before a crisis develops. Contact the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid for helpful information on both of these programs. Your local Department of Social Services or Welfare Unit can provide information on other entitlements like food stamps or public assistance. If you're an older person, you may qualify for additional benefits through the U.S. Administration on Aging. While the direct financial assistance available to survivors for post-treatment expenses is very limited, this is an area that's been recognized as significant, growing, and requiring attention. An example of assistance that is available is a grant from Livestrong Survivor Care, which is the special partnership between the Lance Armstrong Foundation and Cancer Care. This grant offers direct financial assistance for transportation to follow-up care, assistance with the cost of medication co-pays related to your cancer follow-up care, or assistance with the costs associated with neuropsychological testing for chemo brain. To find out if you qualify, you may call Cancer Care directly at 1-800-813-HOPE or call Livestrong Survivor Care at 1-866-235-7205, and that information is in the packet that you received. I think that the bottom line for survivors who are struggling financially as a result of their cancer is first to recognize and acknowledge that this is a real stressor for you, and second, that there is help out there. Both coping with the stress and managing the financial impact of your cancer takes some effort, but you're not alone in either. And now I'll turn the call back to Carolyn Messner. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Karen, for just a very informative presentation about some of the ways to manage some of the costs of um, the actual practical costs of recovery. And now I'd like to introduce um, Linda Taylor, and Linda Taylor is also an oncology social worker and education resource manager of Public Health, Lance Armstrong Foundation, who would like to also say some words of welcome. Karen. Thank you. Thank you, Carolyn. Um, and I want to thank all of our speakers for, for such great information, such helpful information. Um, the Lance Armstrong Foundation is pleased to partner with all of these sponsoring organizations to bring you this Cancer Survivorship Series. The education series is a reflection of the LAF's mission to inspire and empower people affected by cancer. And the LAF provides support to community-centered initiatives that address the physical, the emotional, and the practical challenges of cancer. And we also help cancer survivors navigate the cancer system through our survivor care program and the LiveStrong resource for cancer survivors. We support scientific and clinical research that seeks to better understand the physical, emotional, and psychological effects of cancer. And we also sponsor national advocacy initiatives to help the voice of the cancer community be heard on Capitol Hill. We thank each of you who have joined us today on this call for this great topic, a really important topic, and we hope that the information is helpful to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Linda, just for, um, for your words of welcome and really for identifying this as such an important issue. Um, I actually want to thank our speakers, first of all, for doing a, uh, being on this call today and, and for working with us on this call today. I want to thank each of you. Excellent. And I want to thank all of you who asked us really excellent questions. You really, you know, you did put your finger on the issues that really affect this whole topic. Um, so I want to thank you for doing that. And I also want to thank all of you who have been listening. Now, this is a one-hour program and that we knew from the start with this program, more than any other program we've 
probably done before in all the years we've done these programs, and particularly in the survivorship series, that this was a topic that would definitely be one that um, would be very complicated in terms of just being able to address all of your concerns. So I just want to say that I'd like you to feel comfortable calling all of the organizations that help to make today's call possible. And I also want to encourage you to contact Cancer Care as well. We have a staff of 40 Masters Level Trained Oncology Social Workers, and they are here to help you with some of these very practical issues. And you all have the 800 number for Cancer Care and our website as well. Do take advantage of that. Um, the program, also the Live Strong program that has actually helped to support some of our financial assistance that we can offer to some of you as well. In your materials, you also received um, some information about uh, all the different resources available in terms of accessing financial assistance. It's kind of a summary brief, financial help for people with cancer. We hope that you'll find that useful as well. But do contact our staff here at 1-800-813-HOPE, and um, our staff will definitely want to work with you on some of your very specific issues and concerns. Um, and I want to, again, thank you all for participating today. I also want to thank all the partner groups, and I want you to feel comfortable calling all of us um, because your issues um, are, are critical in terms of the survivorship uh, field and in terms of helping you. So thank you all, and I wish you all a very fine day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the program. You may disconnect and have a wonderful day.